If we take a look at the term Ming Man, Ming means destiny or life, and Man, well, that's the gate. So it basically just means the gate of life. And that is, of course, a very mysterious title for an area. And what does that really mean in, in relation to physiology and in relation to acupuncture? I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. It seems to me that the delicate work we do with acupuncture is a lot like learning how to get someone's attention with a whisper rather than a shout. And I'm thinking about a patient of mine who manages events with big, big personalities. He says that before you can get anything accomplished, people, no matter who they are, need to feel like they're respected. And so too it is with the tender parts of our patients. Parts that want to feel noticed and respected before considering a request for change. It might seem like a tangled, circuitous route to follow rather than fix. But I think the trick to doing medicine, if there is a trick, is to know where to work. Because if we know the where, then perhaps we can appropriately apply the how. A teacher of mine liked to remind us that there is what the patient thinks is wrong, just what the practitioner thinks is wrong, and then there actually is what is the root of the problem. And as my fellow Missourian Mark Twain said, it's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble, it's what you think you know that just ain't so. So, it helps to listen and follow and leave ourselves open to discovering what shows up. I found it does not help to solve the problems of my patients that are theirs to solve. As much as I might enjoy the answers that pop into my mind, as much as I might get satisfaction from seeing what might be helpful to my patient, for the most part, I need to keep my solutions out of it because many of the solutions for life's problems, and maybe successes too for that matter, they come from the E, that spirit aspect of the spleen. E is commonly thought in our trade to mean intention. And in a moment, we'll get into that. But any intention that might arise, it comes at the end of the process, not the beginning. E, like many words, and especially through time and culture, can mean different things. And for the purpose of what I'm discussing here, we're going to take E to mean meaning or idea. It's the sense and story we make of things. Consider the map of the Uxing that puts Earth in the middle, puts E in between the Shen and the Jir, in between the Hun and the Po, that the meaning and significance of our experience on Earth connects the ethereal and the corporal aspects of being human, and that the E is the Ren of Tian Di Ren, the human and being that is connected between heaven and earth. As is so often the case with the people who come into our clinics and seek out our medicine, it's because they are looking for a solution. And fair enough, because we all need help in growing beyond the solutions that we found helpful at a younger age. But those solutions are not for us to prescribe, rather to help our patients uncover for themselves. I'm not talking about psychotherapy here. I'm talking about listening through the five phases. I'm talking about 
noticing the influence or imbalance of clock opposites. I'm suggesting that the six warp, the, the Ojing, these are all ways that we can notice where the chi is flowing and where it's not, so that we can use skill to create possibilities that allow our patients to more freely use their E, their capacity for making sense and meaning, and perhaps realign and redefine their sense of what is significant as they have a more clear and direct access to the energies of the organs that naturally will allow for a more coherent balance. Our job is not to teach our patients East Asian medicine or have them follow our behavioral prescriptions. It's to put them back into a state that allows their natural and innate curiosity to aid them in finding the meaningful solutions that are right for them. Intention, what you plan to do once you've grokked a particular situation, is the end product of making meaning, not the beginning. I've had patients that did not want to get rid of the root of their anxiety. It was too intertwined with their sense of self. I've had, and you too, likely have had patients who would benefit mightily from a few changes in diet, but unless the idea originates with them, well, good luck on seeing any kind of consistent changes in behavior. Patients need to come to their own realization that healing is not a straight line, nor is life a steady state system. There is no moment of arriving where the troubles of the world forever recede. And that certain chronic issues, mm, they behave more like weather systems and less like machinery. We don't turn emotions on or off with a switch. Furthermore, our work is not about getting rid of troublesome and unwanted feelings. It's about helping our patients to find their own capacity to tolerate the discomfort of having feelings that they don't like. Perhaps even to see those as the X on a treasure map. Our job is to be curious about what they might find for themselves and perhaps work through our own anxiety around our patients' discomfort as they work through their E to discover the meaning and significance of the answers that are right for them. Medicine is a curious business. We have an opportunity to be helpful to others, but it is also our patients who do the healing. It's their own spirit and physiology where the changes take place. Our work on a good day offers some influence that can be helpful. And one of the best ways to be helpful is to understand how the body works well enough that we have a sense of where and how to intervene. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Thomas Sorensen on the dynamics of fire, chi, blood, and fluid as we explore the triple burner, pericardium, and mingmun. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer 
from Andrew Sturman on diet as medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. The triple burner and pericardium are particularly interesting to me as they both are more about function than form, and there are pathways through which our vital energy flows and they connect the chi and blood with the organs. As you'll find out in this conversation, we are exploring the way that yang moves through the body. I hope that you'll enjoy this perspective about the flow of fire. Let's get into it. Thomas Sorensen, welcome back to Geological. Thank you. Great to be here. 
Always fun to talk with you. We've been having some conversations recently about all kinds of things, acupuncture speaking, five phases, organ pairs, and the importance and the pathways of fire. The Sanjao, the Xinbao, the pericardium, and that curious thing, the Mingmen. Yes, these are very interesting things to discuss, really, because there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of opinions about them. And it's something that's really important for our medicine to understand this. And, and it seems like there's very little agreement on what these are, the Sanjiao. To some extent, people are kind of agreeing on, but the Xinbao and the Mengmen, they cause a lot of confusion in a lot of people. And I've been trying to look at it just to see if I could clear it up somehow and to clear up some of my own confusions about it, really, and see how I can apply whatever I came up with in, in clinic, because, of course, that's the most important thing, at least to me it is. Uh, how does it play out in clinic? Is it useful or isn't, or isn't it? Of course. Yeah. Right. Well, I am definitely raising my hand as one of the people who thinks, I don't quite get it. I know it's important. Sometimes I feel like I'm starting to get a sense of it, or I can look at different things, and, and maybe this has to do with the triple burner, for example, like all the fluid pathways, ministerial fire, things like that. But I would say at the end of the day, I have more confusion about these things than clarity. And I just mentioned the triple burner. It's also the pathway of the fluids. That's one of the things it talks about. Mm -hmm. It's the, the pathway of the fluids through the body. And it, it also is considered to be a pathway of the fire as well. So we're looking at this. I mean, it seems like it touches on the kidney and heart relationship as well. Absolutely. It, I think maybe it's a good idea to start from the beginning, just talking a little bit about Mingmen and that term in and of itself, and then talk a little bit about how Mingmen can be used or is used in Japanese acupuncture for both diagnosis and prognosis. Maybe we could start there because that's going to bring us to the Sanjiao eventually, or at least to how I've come to think of the Sanjiao at this moment in time. That sounds great because, again, the Mingmen is, I mean, it's almost downright mysterious, but I get uncomfortable when we start bringing mysterious into the clinic. <laughs> yes, mysterious is not good to have in the clinic. You want certainty to some extent, at least to, <laughs> to feel comfortable uh, around your patients, yeah. Right. But in Japanese acupuncture, you know, they talk a lot about the Mingmen and it's an important diagnostic tool and in Japanese acupuncture, the Mingmen is defined as the area below the belly button. It's approximately around the then four to six area. Mm -hmm. And in Japanese acupuncture, you're going to check that area for temperature. So if it's cold, it's deficient. If it's hot, there may also be problems. But apart from checking it for temperature as a part of the diagnostic process, there is not a lot of talk about the Mingmen. There's the information they, we get from the Nanjing that it's the origin of life. It protects against all evil, it says in the Nanjing. So basically, it's the source of human life. And it says a few other things about it, but generally not a lot of information. And actually, there's a lot of opinions because 
The Nanjing isn't the only text that mentions the Mingmen. Several other texts mention it, especially later texts, and texts within the Nadan tradition also mentions it, but there's lots of different opinions on where the Mingmen really is, where it's located, whether it's below the belly button, whether it's behind the belly button, whether it's in the diaphragm. Yeah, there's all sorts of opinions about it. But I found the placement that they use in Japanese acupuncture to be quite correct, really. But I will get back to that in a little bit. If we take a look at the term Ming Man, Ming means destiny mm-hmm. or life. And Man, well, that's the gate. So it basically just means the gate of life. And that is, uh, of course, a very mysterious title for an area. And what does that really mean in, in relation to physiology and in relation to acupuncture? Yes, I mean, it has this very kind of mystical sense to it, like, you know, the destiny gate. Yes. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's easy to go off into all kinds of imaginings on what that is, and I appreciate your thoughts and your perspective here about, okay, so what does this mean physiologically? What does it mean here in our body? And that's where the temperature comes in, in the lower abdomen, right? And we're just starting here at the beginning with learning how to check the lower abdomen for temperature in in Japanese acupuncture. And you would know that if if it's cold, well, the prognosis is worse than if the area is warm. So we know that, or at least in in Japanese acupuncture, thinking that the life gate or the destiny gate has to be warm. So there has to be some sort of activity or there has to be some sort of yang going on there. There has to be qi present. And in my experience, and in many of my colleagues' experience, uh, Japanese acupuncturist colleagues' experience, that definitely is something to take into account, that if the Mingman isn't warm, the prognosis is worse. Yeah, I think a lot of us, regardless of tradition, we're looking to some degree at that area below the navel. We, you know, the Dantian is also associated with that. It, the kidneys are associated with that. It's a very important piece of our anatomy. Mm. It definitely is. But I couldn't keep myself from wondering, where does this warmth come from? Mm. One thing is that it's there and it has a diagnostic and prognostic significance because there was no doubt about that. But where does it come from? And so the Mingman, if you go to the pulse positions on the wrists, then you place the Mingman or kidney yang on the right side on the right hand, on the tun, mm-hmm. pulse. And Nanjing, that was reserved for the pericardium and for the sanjiao channels. So there is a relation between the pericardium and the sanjiao and the mingmen. So I thought, okay, so we have the pericardium and the sanjiao. It's located on the pulse here. There's an obvious relation to the lower abdomen because the kidneys are also in the lower position of the pulse, right? So I went from there a little bit. I thought, okay, if you just follow the five phases, you go from earth, spleen, to metal lungs, to water, kidney, to wood, liver, fire, heart. And then we see this, the fire is, uh, is divided into two parts, the heart fire and the pericardium fire. They're next to each other and very often depicted with a line between them. So it was kind of obvious, or not necessarily obvious, but I I thought that, what if we follow this? Okay, what if we say that all the 
fire that goes to the Ming Men comes from the heart, as per progression in the Cheng cycle in the five phases. So that led me to believe that, well, the Yang Qi or the heat in the lower abdomen, the Ming Men, comes directly derived from the heart. And then how does it go there? Because we have the heart, we have the pericardium, and the pericardium in the Nanjing is described as something that has a function but not a form. So what is all that about? Yeah, it's just like the triple burner. Yeah. Same description. Same description. And what's all that about? And for some time, I was thinking about it, kind of let it go again, until I found out that after doing a treatment, you would see the abdomen relax, and the Mingmen would become warm. That would become in place. And then during treatments, I would often see that the aorta would start pulsating. And after the pulsation had calmed down, the Mingmen would be warm. So I guess that was a moment for me to think that, okay, this is maybe the aorta is actually the pericardium or the xin bao, as I prefer to call it, the heart protector, making or enabling heat to travel from the heart via the blood to the lower abdomen, to the mingmen. So that was really how I came to think about the heart being the basis of the mingmen and having the xin bao help the heart distribute yang qi down to the lower abdomen for use there. So this is interesting because thinking about it going through the aorta, thinking about it going through the blood vessels, the, the fire of the heart, I mean, there's a direct connection between the heart and the kidneys. You go down the aorta and it branches off at the kidneys in a big way. There's a lot of blood that goes there. Mm. And we talk about the heart-kidney connection, that whole Shaoyin connection. We talk about the kidney fire. Well, kidney is cold water. Yes. And yet it's also got an aspect that's fire. Mm. Like, where does that fire come from? Now we're kind of back into that Mingmen territory. Now we're back into the question that you started off with that I think many of us have. Like, how does that fire get from the fire organ down into that cold water? Right. I think there are two things that we need to look at the Liu Jing. We need to look to them because we have the Xiaoyin and we have the Jiayin. So the Xiaoyin is related to the heart and the kidneys, as we know. But what does it do? It pivots. It's a pivot. So I think that one of the things it does is to pivot heat from the heart to the kidneys as a separate function from the Mingmen. So it just relays or it helps cool the heart by bringing some of the Yang Qi down to the kidneys. You can relate that a little bit to Mingmen function, but probably primarily in regards to reproductive function, I think, which is less basic, probably, than the Jiayin, the Xinbao function of directing heart, yang, through the blood down to the Mingmen, just for pure survival right now, right here. Whereas uh, reproductive function is, of course, very important for species to remain on Earth, but not important in regards to dire survival, if that makes any sense at all. So you have these two systems that maybe both of them, you could argue that they relate to the Mingmen, but probably the Jiayin is more important in that respect, really. So you're talking about the Jiayin here as being more connected to basic biosurvival. Yes. Organism 
keeps going. You've still, you've got life. Yeah. Reproduction can come along after you've got some establishment to that life. Exactly. That's really interesting because it's also if in the Xiang Han Lun. Now we're taking a little bit of a roundabout here, but the Xiang Han Lun also places the J in in the last disease category. That that's the last system it it hits when you've had a cold attack, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of also alludes a little bit to the same thing, I think. So this is curious. I mean, I love getting new ideas and new perspectives. I always have to jostle for some space in my mind to fit in. And the thought about the Drayen as being this like really essential level, I'm going to say almost like a reptilian level of functioning, very, very base. You know, not base in a bad way, but based like in a foundational way. It is the most basic part of our physiology. That is the most basic part that makes sure that we are alive and breathing. And it's really interesting because it's the in the Nanjing, the Mingmen is related to the Xinbao, the pericardium, and the Sanjiao, which are the Xinbao is the Jian, and the Sanjiao is Xiaoyang. Mm-hmm. And if we look at what they do, in, in open-closed pivot theory, then the Jian closes and the Xiaoyang pivots. So we have the closing function that closes in on the heart to gather the heat from the heart and, and gather it into the blood and bring it down to the lower abdomen. And from there, the Xiaoyang, the Sanjiao in this case, will pivot it out from there for further use. Right. The open-closed pivot there's another one of those concepts for me where I feel like I can grasp it. Sometimes I grasp it, and sometimes I'm just utterly lost with it. The way that you've just described this as the Drayin pulling the heat from the Xiaoyin, which is also a pivot, mm-hmm. and then it brings it down into the lower portion of the body, where the triple burner, Xiaoyang, also a pivot, yes, can then take it and distribute it. You take it out of the blood again and distribute it through the entire organism. Yes. So it takes it from blood and and moves it into qi. Could we say that? Exactly. It takes it out from storage. So the closing function is also a function of storage to some degree. So the the Xinbao is storing the, the heat. It's doing it in the blood as a medium for storage, which pulls it because it's heavy. And of course, because the heart moves it, it comes down to the lower abdomen where it can be taken out of storage. It can be transferred, pivoted out of storage. Just to use a couple of other words for closing and pivoting, you could use storage and uh, transferring. Mm. And this is really interesting because when all this yang qi from the heart is stored in the lower abdomen and transferred from there by the san jiao, it's distributed through, and this is a really interesting thing that the Neijing talks about, that we're all familiar with the uh, Sanjiao of the arm, the Sanjiao meridian of the arm, but the Neijing also talks about the Sanjiao meridian of the leg. And this is very interesting. And actually, when, for instance, if, if you find that the Sanjiao meridian is excess, you can palpate the excess on the meridian of the arm, but you can also find that same excess on the leg where the uh, Sanjiao meridian is supposed to be. The Neijing describes the Sanjiao meridian of the leg to be in between the gallbladder and the bladder channels, between gallbladder 
34 and bladder 60. So in between there, you will find the leg Sanjiao Meridian. And what is really interesting is that when you treat excess of the Sanjiao, and if you work on the lower back, for instance, trying to help, we'll probably get back into that a little bit later, what that really means, but trying to help the Mingmen really get some of this or have Mingmen and the Xiaoyang transfer some of the heat in the Mingmen out into the system, that when you treat the lower back, you'll see that both the Sanjiao of the arm and the Sanjiao of the leg relaxes and the lower leg becomes warm as well as the lower portion of the arm becomes warm as well. As well as the portion below the navel. Yes, exactly. So you see, we have the Jin Xin Bao that stores the blood from the heart, relieving the heart of too much heat, it can't be too hot, putting it down into the Mingmen, where it's pivoted out by the Sanjiao Meridian to the arms and legs, and also up through the triple burner, the Sanjiao of the torso as well. Which then warms and nourishes all of the organs. Exactly. Yeah, and when you've tonified or if you've corrected a Sanjiao deficiency or excess properly, you will feel that the arms and legs will go warm. Of course, the lower abdomen will become warm as well as the kidneys. So if you touch the lower back around the kidney area, they will have become warm as well. So you can see that tonification has been complete. And there's another link to the kidneys, by the way, and the Mingmen and how they relate to each other that if the Mingmen is working properly, the kidneys will be warmed as well. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Okay. So, this gets me thinking about something. We often think about excess and deficiency. At least it's one of the rubrics that I frequently use, because if I get confused in clinic, if I can go back to what's excess and what's deficient, it gives me some solid ground to stand on. Now, as we're talking about these functions and how things, how the heat, in this case, moves from the heart through the blood, comes down, comes up through the sanjiao, now I'm thinking that there's probably no such thing as a deficient sanjiao. Yes, there could be cold, but that cold, I suspect, would come from blockage. It's not that the Sanjiao itself is deficient, but that there's some kind of obstructions in the way of the qi and the heat and the warmed fluids moving through. Does that make sense? Does that hold water for you? No pun intended. Yes, absolutely. That, that's just really relating to how we define our terminology. 
because deficient and excess does mean deficiency or excess of heat, really, of qi. So if there's a deficiency, it's really just a cold. It's an excess cold. So completely, yeah, it's probably the best way to view it anyways, is that a deficiency is of the sanjiao is probably more an, an excess of cold, really, or an excess of blood that's not being moved through properly. So a sort of blood stagnation. Ah, acting as an obstruction. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because we have talked about this before, and what I see in clinic and what I'm basing my treatments on is that everything is due to deficiency, but you cannot see the deficiency. You see the excesses. And the excesses will be of qi and heat, blood, cold, and things like that. But at the root of it, it's deficiency, which basically just means there's not enough qi in the mingmen coming down from the heart to keep the body moving properly or to keep the blood moving properly. And then you'll see the excess, either of qi or of blood with its related heat or cold symptoms or water stagnation. Mm-hmm dampness, phlegm, what have you. So then for you, it's all about the fire. It's all about, is the fire in the right place and doing its job? Yeah, it's all about that. But there's also another aspect of that is that the pericardium, the way I've come to see it, like the heart rules the vessels and the lungs rule the skin, the kidneys rule the bones, the pericardium rules the connective tissues, that which everything is running through, that which is the matrix of our entire structure. You just used the term Huang. Yes, that is a very interesting term that we don't meet that often in in Chinese medicine, except from uh, when we talk about the diaphragm. But the diaphragm is just one sort of Huang. There's Huang all over the body. The meridians run through it, the blood vessels run through it, the nerves run through it. Everything runs through the huang. There's huang everywhere. It keeps everything connected. It keeps our organs in their place. It keeps them well-nourished because, of course, on the one side you have the huang that's quite compact, and then the other side you have the li, the interstices, the holes, the passageways through the, the huang, which is ruled by the sanjiao. So again, you have the pericardium or xinbao and the sanjiao pair being pathways for qi and fluids, including blood, because the blood vessels also run through the huang, but also just being the entire matrix of our body. And that is what the Mingmen sustains with yang. That's in our entire physiological presence. So it sounds like there's some kind of transformation going on here. We've got the initial heat that's being generated by the heart. We often use the term the emperor and that kind of thing. I like the poetic aspects of, oh, the emperor on his throne. Or none of us are into royalty these days. You know, I mean, so often the the metaphors don't quite fit because if we were actually living under that kind of a system, we would be in active revolt to it. So I'm trying to find another way of languaging things without going all biomedical. Mm. So talking about the, the heart and the heat that's being generated seems to me it's more like the sun. Mm-hmm. It's the source of heat in this particular configuration. It is. I like to refer to the heart as the Dai Huo and the pericardium as the Xiao Huo. And just for simplicity and for not, because I really don't care much for that imperial and ministerial fire terminology either, it's a very limiting way of looking at it because then 
if you use those terms, you are limited to think about the pericardium as acting on behalf of the heart, which is not really the case. It's not acting on behalf of the heart because the heart, it's really not doing anything except from being there. So I think this would be a really great time to bring in Nadan because it explains a little bit of what's going on here or some aspects of it. In Nadan, we talk about the Xing and the Ming. The Xing being our nature and the Ming being our form. Our nature before it's in our human mind is pure consciousness. It's just clarity. That's our nature. That's pure clarity. That's Yuan Shen, the original mind or the original consciousness. And then it takes a boat in our body, becoming kind of in the background of what's going on in the body and how we think. So the heart is really just pure consciousness with a potential. And it's up to the Xiaohuo to derive that potential. So it takes the clear consciousness of the heart and puts it into motion. And this, to some degree, is then where you get destiny, because now you've got like direction, and you're starting to impress your will on the world, and the world then responds to that, however it responds, and then respond to that, and off we go on the karmic wheel. You see the Xing passing through the Mingmen to become the Ming. If you look at it that way, you can do away with the whole imperial fire and ministerial fire become a little bit more free to interpret these things. Yeah, I sometimes get hung up with that languaging. Mm. And also because I just don't find it helpful other than thinking about an ancient form of how humans organize their society. Yeah. So thinking about this as in terms of maybe evolution or experience of consciousness and form, Mm -hmm. that gives me a different kind of foothold on it. Yeah, there's suddenly a different context to everything. And that can be very useful in clinic. I definitely have this focus on the Mingmen, the Xinbao and the Sanjiao in this way of understanding it, that it derives the Yang Qi from the heart. Uh, it puts the Yuan Xin, kind of helps it get a physical expression. And also thinking about it as the very base level of survival system for our body, then... If everything acts through this, then what you feel in the body is always going to be what is most... So, for instance, if you palpate the abdomen for diagnosis, or you take the pulse for diagnosis, or you listen to not so much the symptoms, but mainly the physical signs there will be, they will show you the most important thing for this patient's survival right at this moment. Because that is ultimately what the Xin Bao, the heart protector, and the San Jiao are there for to help you survive. Again, I'm thinking about this very much physiologically mm. and how we have this initial heat, which is the core to being here and core to running a body, to fueling it. Now, the piece about consciousness, I always get a little nervous talking about consciousness because at least for me, it's, it's such a slippery topic. And I find it very easy to go into an imaginal realm that's full of fancy. Oh, yes. We don't want to go there. <laughs> and yet, it's really easy. It is very easy. And so often for me, the question is, okay, so there is an aspect of consciousness. 
And we certainly see it. I mean, we've all got patients. I'm sure everybody listening right now can bring to mind somebody. It's the stories that they're telling themselves about the experience that they're having that's causing the lion's share of the problems that they've got. Yeah. Which isn't to say it's just in your mind and you're making it up, but a lot of it's in the mind and it has a profound impact on the body. Mm. So in working in clinic, like I'm going to put this to you as a question. Like, When do you work, I'm going to say, on physiology? I'm not even sure what level to call it. I, I get so nervous saying things like spiritual. All right, yeah. But let's say a less formed, like formed and unformed. Consciousness is, is more of an unformed. So I'm comfortable with that word. When do you work on the formed and when do you work on the unformed? I always work on the unformed through the formed. <laughs> so if it's not present in the pulse or in the abdomen, it's imagined. So th that's the thing about consciousness. I know, again, we need to define our terms really carefully. But when we talk about consciousness in East Asian terms, I think, or for me, I, I mean, I mainly have my experience from Japan, and they use these terms slightly differently than they do in China. So there's a disclaimer right there. But usually when we talk about the Shen or the Shin in Japanese, we're just kind of talking about there are two aspects of it. One is the conditioned mind or conditioned consciousness, what we've learned, how we've learned to be. And then we have the original mind or the Yuan Shen, which is just basically a mirror. So if something is made up, it's always from the conditioned mind. It cannot be from the original mind, from the Yuan Shen. It, it's not possible because that's completely reflective of what is going on. So when you start diagnosing a patient, if you think about the patient's signs and symptoms and start formulating a diagnosis based on those things, it is very close to imagination. Because you're hearing something, you're making up your mind about it based on whatever preconceptions you have. So it's very close to being imagination. You might be very close to the truth because you have experience, you have learned how to do this. But if you don't pay very careful attention to the physiology, for me at least, it's very unclear what is imagination and what is real. Also, for instance, when I'm talking about the Mingmen, the Sanjiao, and the Pericardium, that is also bordering on fantasy or imagination because I don't know if that's what I'm feeling, but I know what I'm feeling. At the beginning of treatment, I feel the abdomen is like this, I feel the pulses like this, I choose these and these points, and then after treating these points, I feel something different. So that's what I can relate to in a non-imaginary sense. Everything else is imagination. So we're putting some words to something that we see in clinic. And the reason why we put words to them are just so we can communicate it to someone else, of course. But if it's not based in physiology, if it's not palpable on the pulse or in the abdomen or on the channels, in my mind, it just doesn't really exist. I'm with you on that. And that makes sense to me. Whatever we find with our patients there should be some kind of reflection of it in the physiology. That makes sense to me. Mm. And being able to go to the body and root our ideas in what we find, pulse, tongue, palpation, however we interact with the physiology and have a conversation with the physiology, that makes sense to me. There's also something you said that got my attention, that, that the symptoms that people come in with and tell you about are 
out of conditioned mind. Oh, yes. As most of us, we train a lot of different people, a lot of different people from different cultures, from different places in the world. And when they come in, they express symptoms differently. So Danish people have a tendency to express symptoms in one way. In Japan, they express it in a different way. So I've seen this many times in, in Denmark when people come in, if, for instance, they want help with depression. They'll come in and say, I've been diagnosed with depression. Can you help me with this? Right. So, okay. That's how they present it in clinic here. In Japan, they will say something completely different. Like, I'm exhausted. I'm out of energy. It's difficult for me to get out of bed in the morning. And I have diarrhea. Maybe how they'll, they will present it in Japan. But it's going to be the same thing. They're just presenting it differently. So, my job is to find out what is really going on. Because I can't really know for sure what is going on before I've actually found out what's going on in the physical form, what's going on in the pulses, what's going on in the abdomen. For the same patient, there may be the same physical presentation, or there may not be, and it's the physical presentation I will treat anyways. So I don't know if that answers the question. So yes, this thing with depression in particular, so very similar here in the United States. Here's the thing. People come in and they say, yes, I've been diagnosed with depression. Or they say, well, I'm anxious and I have depression. And I'm not a psychotherapist. And so I actually have no idea what they mean when they say they're depressed. And they often come in and say, well, you know, I'm depressed or I've been diagnosed with depression or I'm taking antidepressants. But me as a Chinese medicine practitioner, I have no idea what that really means to them. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free drop ship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. And so I have to inquire. It's like, okay, depressed. Like, how do you know you're depressed? Like, what's happening for you? And one patient in particular, she's very interesting. She says, well, whenever I don't have energy, that means I'm depressed. Hmm. It's like, well, what about when you're tired? Well, you know, I'm depressed. So sometimes people will associate certain levels of physical comfort or discomfort or energy or lack of energy with a psychological diagnosis. Yes, and that is very culturally related. In Japan, they'll give you physical, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, they'll give you physical symptoms to deal with. 
they relate everything to a more emotional thing because we've done a really good job here in the West of separating mind and body completely. And people are really confused about what they feel and how they feel and how they're doing. Unless they're very sick, they're very confused about what they're really feeling. So if you're a practitioner of Chinese medicine, and if you only go by interview, it's very difficult to find out exactly what's going on unless you have a great talent for being intuitive. It's very difficult. But as soon as you get your hands on, and if you at the same time think, on, okay, the body is presenting to me what it is struggling with right now, what is important for its survival. If you can have that in the back of your mind, you can palpate the body, then you know what's going on. And you don't really have to care much about the symptoms the patient come in with. I don't care about the patient's symptoms. I care about the patient. That's a fantastic distinction. So the only reason why I ask people about their symptoms is because we need some sort of reference frame for when their treatment is over or a frame of reference for when they can feel that, okay, I'm getting better. But I always put all of my attention towards what their physiology is telling me when they come here from treatment to treatment to treatment. What is changing? What is not changing? What does this mean? How is their yang qi? How is the Mingmen fire? How is it doing? Is it doing well? Is it not doing well? Because that's the most basic premise for having good health is that the Mingmen is working properly. That is that the pericardium is taking proper amounts of yang qi from the heart, storing it in the blood, getting it down to the lower abdomen, having the Sun Jiao, Xiaoyang pivoted out of there into the channels or into the meridians of the legs and arms and into the triple burner and heating and starting all the processes properly there. That is the most important thing, really, to me at least. All right, you're sounding like a chi mechanic now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, regardless of whether it's an emotional complaint or an emotional story or a physical symptom in the body, you listen to either of those as this is a piece of conditioned story. Let's see what the body says through what you feel. You do a treatment and then you can check in with that conditioned mind again at some point and say, hey, conditioned mind, how's that feel for you? Absolutely. Yep. So whether you like to work on a more emotive level or work on a more physical level, Really, the important thing is make sure that we're getting the heat in the right place and that everything is being distributed in the way that is proper for the physiology to function. Very simple. Okay. So if the body is functioning just fine, Drayin is happy, it's secure, now the Xiaoyin can be involved with reproduction and all that kind of thing. How do I phrase this? Again, I'm coming back to if we just make sure, this sounds so trite in a way, but that she and blood are moving in the way that they should and things are warm in the way that they are properly warm, then the organism basically takes care of itself. Yes, it does. And when we say organism, it's including the mind, really. Unless we're talking mental illness, that may or may not be a different case. I don't have enough experience with it to say. Definitely in all other cases, it really comes down to this how is the physiological fire doing? Is it doing all right or is it not doing all right? Of course, there are degrees of doing all right and not all right. And that's what we attend to in clinic. If it's not doing what it's supposed to at all, we have patients that are close to death. Most of our patients are doing 
somewhat all right, but the only thing that really separates life from death is yang qi, so the state of that physiological fire, really. If it's alive and well, all the channels are going to be open, all the organs are going to be functioning properly, and when the organs function properly, the mind will function properly. It's really interesting because when people get better and everything starts functioning properly, the conditioning of the mind tends to weaken. This is really, really interesting. It tends to weaken. So people become more clear about what they want and what they don't want from a more personal perspective. For something that's more connected, this is such an overused phrase, but who they really are, the true selves, you know, who they're put in this world to be, their potential starts coming out more, at least for a lot of people. I see that quite often, actually. Mm-hmm. So we just need to take care of the physiological fire of, of the Ming Man. And then everything else take care of itself. You know, it's interesting. I share a number of patients with a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist, and he works with people and their minds to change behaviors or maybe change beliefs or ways that they think and do. And often people in my clinic, because I ask the kinds of questions that I do, because I need to get to know who they are, and maybe more importantly, I need to know something about how they are. And so I'll often ask questions that are not too dissimilar from what my psychotherapist friend asks, but not because I'm trying to do the work that he's doing, but because I'm trying to understand where is this person, where are the blockages, so that I can treat them in a way that they've got access to enough chi and blood and and fire. And then they change. Mm -hmm. But not because I've been doing psychotherapy with them. But because I am working in the way that that we are discussing here, you're helping me put a clearer language on it. I've always just thought of it as, well, I'm, I'm using what I know to help the body find a way to reconnect with resources that it already has, but is not utilizing. And when that happens, all I need to do is get the hell out of the way. <laughs> yep, as quick as possible. The idea of Mingmen and the pericardium and the sanjiao gives us a way to evaluate whether we have reached what we needed to reach in a given treatment. Because if we have, the lower abdomen will be warm, the kidneys will be warm, the patient will generally be warmer. But that doesn't mean that we necessarily want to treat the mingmen directly because we don't necessarily want to do that. But as a result of treatment, whatever we do, the Mingmen should warm up. If it doesn't, we probably haven't done or we probably haven't reached the correct diagnosis or probably haven't tonified or drained or shunted as we would have been most useful for the patient in, at that moment. So we want to attend to the Mingmen, but we don't necessarily treat it directly. Yes. It's more a reflection What's the state of the fire? What's the state of the union, as they would say here in the United States? So a patient's destiny, Meng, is not for us to tamper with. It is not. We cannot, even if we wanted to. I don't believe we can. It is, at best, my job to help that person express that fire or their xing through their Ming to the best possible degree 
at this moment in time. That really lands for me. It is not our place to tamper with their destiny, even if we could. I remember having a conversation with a podcast guest some time ago. Someone was asking if he could do something to make them do something that they couldn't do, but they wanted to do. And his response was basically, well, I can't. And even if I could, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Because that's up to you. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I want to bring in another piece here. This is something I've been thinking about over the years. Some of it is my background with herbs. Some of it is my work with the Sa'am method. And just you know, having an inquiry about Mingman and heat, and in particular, the small intestine. Because mm-hmm. in your basic TCM, we've got the small intestine. It's a fire organ. It's paired with the heart. I don't know about the rest of you out there, but I remember when I was first learning about this, I'm like, small intestine heart, like, what the hell is that? And how do these things actually connect with each other? And I was very confused because from a biomedicine point of view, the small intestine is super important. That's where all your nutrition comes from. No small intestine, you don't live in the world very long. Yes. Absolutely essential. And... In Chinese medicine, I felt like the small intestine was this like stateless refugee. And it never made much sense to me. But over time, I've been looking at it. And here it is. It's this organ that actually sits in between the kidneys. If you look physiologically, like where's the small intestine? It sits in between the kidneys. Kidneys are on either side of it. And in some ways... We could call it a gate of life because no nutrition coming into the system, you don't have life. Mm. And it's a fire organ. And so over time, I've been thinking about the small intestine as perhaps another pathway of bringing that physiological heat through the channel system, through the relationship of the organs, the heart and the small intestine both being fire. And it's located in the lower portion of the body, kidneys on either side. You could see it as warming the kidneys. Sometimes I like to think of the Mingman in the small intestine as, let me say it a different way. At this point, I do think about the small intestine not necessarily being the Mingman, but being an aspect of it. I'd like to get your thoughts about that. Yeah. I have heard about that idea before. I don't necessarily come to the same conclusion. I do see the logic, definitely. But I'm a huge fan of the Nanjing. And in the Nanjing, (laughs) the young organs have been, they aren't considered less, but they're not talked about a lot. And they're more looked at like organs for helping us sustain our form. And it says that the small intestine receives abundance, which is to me, just very clear indication of it's like in the Western medical terms or how we view physiology in the West, that it receives all the nutrition and puts it, you know, and, and moves it in to further use uh, in the body. So if we see it as that, it just receives abundance. And if we look to its meridian, which is a Taiyang meridian, the Taiyang meridian opens, it receives, it opens. So to me, if you combine those, it's more like it receives the nutrition that can make the blood and the blood is what helps the heart get rid of its heat 
So I think it's more the other way around. So the small intestine produces blood that helps the heart remove the heat from it. As the blood passes through the heart, the heart gives off yang qi, which then goes into the pericardium and down to the mingmen. But it's not the other way around. The heart doesn't give blood directly to the or heat directly to the small intestine to function as a mingmen. Okay, so I'm with you here, and this is one of the reasons I love our conversations, because we get into these thorny spots and, and chew on it. So the small intestine is a fire organ. It's associated with fire. So why wouldn't it, through the heart, be bringing some of that heat into the lower portion of the body? There could be different reasons for that. One of them could just be, okay, we need this organ to be put in some kind of, we need to give it a label. But I think it's just really because it's so clearly associated with blood that it's a fire organ. It literally produces the blood. And the blood is a substance of the heart. So I think that's simply why. Okay, so you see the small intestine is having a connection with blood, an important connection with blood. Yes, it opens to the blood vessels. I know in Psalm they use the small intestine for clearing blood stasis. And you can do that because it opens into the blood. So opening into the blood is going to put qi into the blood and make it move. It's also going to put nutrition into the blood. I can see that. Okay. Well, one of the interesting things about the medicine we practice is we are constantly puzzling over it, that's for sure. Yeah. Another thing about the small intestine and mingmen, when I treat the small intestine, it doesn't seem to have a direct effect on warming the kidneys and on the lower abdomen. If it did, I would say, okay, then it's the small intestine. But I'm still looking for that evidence in physiology, in how my re patient responds to treatment. Okay, so my idea, small intestine, it's a fire organ. If we tonify the small intestine, we should see some more heat happening in the lower abdomen. We should see the mingmen in function, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go double check on that stuff. That's a great... <laughs> great. Yeah, because you know I'm coming up with ideas because I'm trying to figure this stuff out, and then I'm looking for ways that I can verify, does this idea hold water or not? And I'm with you that if our treatments are helpful, we're going to see it reflected in the physiology in ways that we can directly access that with our physiology, in other words, palpation. Right. So I'm going to go play around with that. Thanks for that. That's really helpful. So just to round things off, I think that physiology is the most important thing for me as an acupuncturist. So of course, in diagnosis, when I treat, and to see the results of treatment. There's something I want to see happen after treatment. Something There's specific signs I want to appear. If they don't appear, I know the patient's not going to have the effect we wished for. And if these changes do appear, there's a very, very high chance of the patient actually experiencing positive changes to quite a high degree. Yeah, that's a great way to round, summarize and round it off, that's for sure. Back to physiology. All right, well, as ever, Thomas, I appreciate the conversations that we have. You give me a lot to take back into my clinic and investigate which is really the fun part of the day, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It definitely is. And thank you for the great questions. They always end up challenging me a little bit in a very positive way to get my 
minds straight a little bit, <laughs> get thoughts organized. <laughs> I think we're all working on that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, until next time then. Yep. Until next time. The Mingman is one of those things that has puzzled me from the outset. The name is evocative. Mingman, life gate, destiny gate. The part of me that draws nourishment from the mysterious enjoys dreaming into what hidden or profound domain this gate leads to. And at the same time, I'm wary of the part of my imagination that wants to make something special because I don't understand it. And it, after all, has such an invitingly imaginative name. I appreciate Thomas's perspective that it's the heat from the blood that originates in the heart and then travels the Dreyun vessels to the lower part of the body, and that's what fires the Mingman. There certainly is something about blood and its connection to Shen and how that might inform our destiny. At the same time, and perhaps because in TCM, it seemed to me that the small intestine gets short shrift and that it's, after all, connected to the heart, it still leaves me inquiring as to how the fire foo organ functions in terms of taking information from the heart and distributing it throughout our body and our being. And furthermore, that it's a taiyang organ and thus connected to the urinary bladder. So here we see again the connection of fire and water, but not through the xiaoyin or the heart kidney, but as a yang expression of water and fire. What's more, taiyang, concerning the exterior, or perhaps even something about how we interact with that outer world. Now that is something else to ponder. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.